0: You your way, just a few
1: of coming out for We are in the middle of the Christmas season, and it's been fun to celebrate the Churchwide Fellowship. Just to remind you, there's another Churchwide Fellowship this coming Wednesday night. we Cards for Kenya and Family Movie Night. So for the kids, they're going to make homemade Christmas cards. we are going to send to the kids in Kenya at Mescal's, so a recent partnership that Emily Griffin, one of our members, works with. I'm sorry, Emily Naylor. I keep using her, um, her maiden name, but that Emily works with. And so we'll be sending cards to the orphans and the kids in the Christian school in Kenya. And then after that, we're going to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. We have an inflatable giant screen for the gym, and so the kids can sit on the floor and watch that. This is for all ages. The youth will have a different event going on at the same time in the youth rooms. But so bring the whole family, all ages, cards for Kenya, and watch a Charlie Brown Christmas this Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Now it's hard to believe, but two weeks from today is already Christmas Eve. We are almost to Christmas. And so just to remind you, on Christmas Eve day, we will have our normal morning worship service at 10.30. There's no Bible study before, but we'll have our 10.30 regular worship service. But I hope you'll come back that night at 5 p.m. We have our traditional Christmas Eve service. We call it carols, communion, and candlelights. And we will sing Christmas carols together, hear the Christmas story read from Scripture, and then celebrate communion together, and then sing two Christmas carols by candlelight. It's a fun evening, a special service for the whole family, so bring your kids with you. It's only about 45 minutes long, but that'll be on Christmas Eve now for our members, I want to remind you we have our annual member meeting right after the service today. This is for members of those who are in the membership process. We am going to invite you as soon as the service is over, head over to the gym building. We'll have pizza, we'll feed you a lunch, and then we have our annual member meeting where we get to tell you what's happening in the life of the church, talk about the proposed budget for next year, talk about the new church covenant, and be able to answer whatever questions you have. So that's right after the worship service today in the gym building if you'll just head that way after you pick up your kids. Now, we get the joy of introducing a few new members this morning. And so, Joy and your family, Valerie, Jay, Nathan, and Ashley, and your family, and Kevin, and Jenny, and y'all's family. You guys come on up across the front here. We want to get a chance to introduce you guys. So come on down here. It's not a scary group, I promise. They're all friendly here. So these are people who completed the membership process at Gateway. Now, there's a lot more in the membership process right now that we're following up with. A lot of people did our foundations class this fall, and we're still meeting with them, and we look forward to introducing them to you in January, but know there's a lot more in process here, but I want to introduce several of the families to you, tell you a little bit about them. We'll start down here with the Opie's. This is Nathan and Ashley Opie. They are an Air Force family who moved from L.A., not lower Alabama, but from Los Angeles, and they said they're excited to live in the country again, and so they've been here in Montgomery for more than a year. Nathan obviously works at Maxwell Air Force Base, and Ashley's a stay-at-home mom. Their kids are all at pike road schools weston who is almost 12 down here he loves to run reagan who's 10 loves doing people's nails Nora, who's almost six loves to draw and grayson down here's three likes to steal everyone else's candy um, the Opies enjoy being outdoors they love the national parks Uh, Nathan loves hunting they bought a renovation house for those who know them when they came to Montgomery they've had a lot of fun every weekend working on their renovation house there's some sarcasm in that Ashley thankfully enjoys furniture restoration and photography and Nathan said he enjoys getting beat by me in a racquetball and so um, (laughs) but we're grateful for you guys let's welcome you all to the gateway Next thing right here, this is Jay Schulenberg. Jay was originally from Wisconsin, but got transplanted down to Alabama as a kid. He works now with Legacy Roofing and Remodeling, so he does roofing and painting of houses on the side. He loves painting, music, and finding new ways to enjoy God's creation. That's why we recruited him to go backpacking with us last time. Really exciting. He's being baptized in the service later today, so you're going to get to hear all of Jay's testimony. Now, next to Jerry right here, this is Joy Kuhn. She is a health and fitness coach, and she manages her dad's audiovisual equipment business. Her husband, Bobby, is a Montgomery police officer, and we're so thankful for his service. Daniel's in 10th grade at BrewTech. He loves tennis, chess, video games, and he loves the youth group here, which we're really grateful for and glad to have you involved with it. And Shelby's in 5th grade at Bayer. She's into music, arts, backpacking, and pugs. And they have a 13-year-old boxer at home named Sadie, and their family loves playing board games and card games and just loves having time with friends. And thankful God's brought you here. Let's welcome the coons. Next is Valerie Seffield. She started attending here way back in 2013 before she left to go to grad school, but she moved back to Montgomery this year. We're thankful to have you back, Valerie. She works in property management and real estate with her brother in law, Shin. A lot of you know Shin and Alicia. Shin's one of our deacons here, so she works in real estate with him. She also serves in our preschool ministry back there as one of our kids, our kindergarten Bible study teacher on Sunday morning. So, Valerie, thanks for loving the little kids and pointing them to Jesus. She enjoys hanging out with her nephews, watching soccer, and she loves finishing Thousand Piece. Puzzles, and so we're glad you enjoy that hobby. Let's welcome Valerie. And then down in here, this is Kevin and Jenny Hostetler. They're an Air Force family. Kevin is a chaplain at Air Command and Staff College. Jenny homeschools their kids and loves to be outside. Three of their kids are college-age, Amy, Grace, and Charity, and I'm excited their college-age daughters are going to CrossCon with us when we go take the college students up there to that cool conference in January. Um, Robert, who's 15, Charles is 12, and William is 9. They're all involved in scouting. They all love the outdoors and being out in God's creation, and they love the local church and excited to be here. Even if only for a short time, they're thankful to be here, and they wanted to thank you for welcoming them. So let's give a welcome to you guys as well. (laughs) Well, thank you all. If you want to head back to your seats, again, there's many more in the membership process that we will be getting to introduce to you guys. in And we're thankful for the way, as we put in the emails, we're thankful for the way that you've been welcoming and loving people that God has been bringing into our church family. Well, we want to begin this morning with scripture reading and our Advent candle lighting as we think about peace. So i want going to get Kevin and Amy Lynn Blake to come up here. They're, they're going to light the Advent candle for us, and they're going to read scripture for us as we begin the service this morning.
2: Amy Lynn will read the passage from the Old Testament, and I have two from the New Testament.
3: From Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to hold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.
2: And from John 16 verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world. And then Romans 5 1. Therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ, let us pray. Lord Jesus, uh, in you and only you, we find true peace. Even though we face troubles and difficulties and heartaches, as your children, we have assurance that you have overcome the world and that we can come into your presence and find a true and lasting peace, a peace that surpasses all human understanding, as your word tells us. You are the God of peace. While we live in a broken and cruel world, you've given us your Holy Spirit to enable us to experience peace, even as we face trials of many kind. We ask for your Spirit to continually transform us so that your peace, your shalom, will be evident in our lives daily. Thank you for this precious gift of peace. In Christ's name we pray, Amen.
0: Y'all stand as we get ready to worship this morning.
1: song and to be able to join with those in heaven and the beings around your throne and proclaiming that you are holy, holy, holy. That you are merciful and you are mighty. God, we are thankful that you have revealed yourself to us and you've drawn us to yourself, giving us salvation and giving us eyes to see. We give you praise and thanks for that. What I pray as we continue through this service today that you would give us hearts of just awe and wonder that we get to know you, the one true God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. but well, we get the joy of celebrating a baptism this morning. So if we can cue up the lights in there so these guys are in a shadow. There we go. This, this is Jay Schulenberg. Jay has been around Gateway for about a year now. And just to me, he's going to share his story with you. But let me remind you first why we do baptisms. The baptisms, there's nothing special about this water. This is a profession of faith. In the New Testament, the way you confess that you have faith in Christ is not by walking down an aisle and shaking the pastor's hand and having people clap for you. The way you show people you're a follower of Christ is you get baptized before others. This is a way of saying, I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross, that he was buried and on the third day rose from the grave. But it's also saying I identify with that, that I believe because of God's grace has pursued me and the faith that God has given to me, I have died to my old way of life and God has raised me up by his grace to walk in newness of life before him. There's also a, a confession on the part of the church saying we have seen you, we've seen God's grace at work on your life, and we're affirming that we see God's grace at work changing the person who has been baptized. And so it's with joy that we get to do this for Jay this morning. And so as we begin, Jay, we want to start with you getting to share your testimony of God's grace pursuing you, and then we'll let a few people share some words of encouragement with you. So we're going to turn it over to you, Jay.
4: Wrestling with that fact, um, wrestling with that in the back of my mind, I still wanted to believe in and obey God's commands. So I was first baptized at the age of seven. And looking back, I believed that God was with me in that decision. But it wasn't until around middle school that I had started to let my doubts take control of me as I started to see the world more clearly and the way that it worked. I quickly realized that the world and everyone in it were just as broken as I was And that led me to thinking I had to figure out this life on my own. Uh, Having having taken medication my whole life, I quickly got into drugs and alcohol during high school in an effort to chase relief and comfort outside of isolation. This ultimately led to an entirely different battle in my struggle with understanding the Lord and the grace, love, and mercy that he was trying to extend to me. I knew that I was actively living in sin, but I didn't care, and I was looking for any answer besides Jesus dying on the cross for me and my trespasses against him. It didn't make sense that a God perfect in being, just in righteousness, lacking in nothing, could make one of his chosen children to physically suffer since birth and mentally get to a point in life where there was no hope of a future. But God, all-knowing, omnipresent, omniscient, immutable, full of jealousy, wrath, and righteousness, in his sovereignty allowed me to allow me in my suffering and rebellion against him to be able to understand the gravity of what he sacrificed for my soul. Jesus Christ, his son, my Lord and Savior, was sent to endure the punishment for the impact and broken world we dwell in, so that though we will never be perfect on this earth, we must strive in our convictions to live out his commands (coughs) to model the life he lived to the rest of the world for the ultimate glory of his name.
1: Amen. Thanks for sharing that. Well, we want to take a minute and see if a few of you would like to share a word of encouragement with Jay. Anyone from the farm back here? Oh, Here we go. I'll hold the mic for us.
3: I am Simon Jay's grandmother. And Simon, I have been praying for you. Since I held you the night you were born, he that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, and he has and he will. I am so proud of you. I love you more than you even know. Keep up the good work and praise God.
1: Amen. Praise God is a great word for this. Anyone else back here want to share? Yep, here we go. Come around to you.
2: Let let Jay see who's talking to him. <laughs> Jay, I've had the privilege of of watching you grow and just exemplify Christ to the people around you. I've loved having you with us on Carpenters for Christ this last year. You just demonstrated that perseverance that it takes to overcome difficulties. And, and I just want to add a word of encouragement from, from God's word. It comes out of John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. For in the world you have tribulation. But take courage, for I have overcome the world. And it's your, your conquest of your battles that exemplifies how Christ has led us to a better life, and that life you've taken hold of today, and we just
1: honor and are thankful for you. Amen. Thanks for sharing. Hey, good, Jeff.
5: Brother, I just uh, rejoice that uh, God saved you and that He's working in your life. And as I was thinking about uh, what scripture to read and to remind you of, I thought of uh, Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, Now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you in which I have received and in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. So just, Jay, I want to encourage you just to believe the gospel. Uh, every day you wake up, like we say at the farm, preach the gospel to yourself and Keep the gospel central in your life. Love you, brother.
1: Hey, Amen. That's a great challenge for all of us. Here you go.
5: Jay, man, I also just wanted to say, man, I'm super proud of you, and I've just seen a, I've seen a significant change um, in you since you've been in the, in the farm, and uh, it just <clears throat> reminded me of Proverbs 4, um, 18 and 19, and this is in contrast to the path of the wicked. It says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Um, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. But yeah, in verse 18, it says it it shines brighter and brighter until full day. And I've just been seeing that in you, man. I've just been seeing the Holy Spirit at work in you and um, just fruit coming out of your life, man. So I just pray you just continue doing what you've been doing. And um, I'm excited for the future, just being able to pursue the Lord together. And so, uh, yeah, congratulations, man. That's great.
1: Anyone else back here? Greg. Pass the
5: Hey, Jay. It's been great getting to know you over the past year, particularly in Sunday school. and just uh, talking. You're, you're very quiet uh, and, and somewhat shy, but I just wanted to share this scripture with you. I think I'm looking at a new creation here. And from Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I pray you'd be able to do that, praising the Lord for how he's brought you to this place, but really pressing forward in life now. So God bless you, brother. Thanks, Greg. Okay.
1: Anyone else? If not, one more here.
3: I'm Charlotte. Uh, my claim to fame is um, Emily Griffin's aunt, this guy's aunt, but but also I'm a really good friend of, of Jay's mama. We call him Simon. And I just had to come give testimony today of uh, the prayers of a mother, a godly mother. Uh, I've known Rochelle for many years and uh, I've watched her and these grandmamas uh, just pray for their grandson and their son. And, and uh, there's just no hopeless cause. Simon was as he shared in his testimony, he was um, he was out there in the wilderness. and uh, But God heard the prayers of a godly mother. And I'm so proud of you, Simon. And he paints a good house too. He did our house this summer, along with these great guys back here, put a plug in. And I watched him. I watched the transformation in his life from a shy little guy to this smile that you see on his face. And it's just a testimony to the grace of God. And I I just had to come give testimony to that today, and I'm so proud of you, uh, Simon, and I'll continue to pray for you and watch what God does with your life. It's going to be
1: amazing. Amen. And I just want to echo that, since you've already heard from lots of people, Jay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, son, I have watched God move in your life since the day you were born. I praise him for the work he's done and continues to do in you. You're an amazing man of God, and it's a real privilege to be your mom. It always has been. I'm so proud of you, and I'll be watching expectantly for how God uses you in his kingdom in the future. I love you.
1: Thanks, Rochelle. so you 've heard it all i 've just got to add one more, Jay. When you showed up a year ago, you didn 't want to be here you didn 't even want to look at me or say "Hey to me, but to watch God chase after you this year and to watch god 's grace get a hold of your heart and to see starting somewhere on the first of the year of the gospel really sink into your heart and you get the gospel and it take root and god 's grace change you and the joy that is now in your life and the peace in your life we just You've heard it from everyone else. We just rejoice at God's grace that he has pursued you and transformed you and is still transforming you and just excited about what God's going to do with you. He has gifted you. Give you spiritual gifts to serve others with. It's exciting to see where he's going to take you. So we just rejoice at God's grace and how you praise him for it. And so we're going to turn over to Timmy Hand in the Tank. If you don't know Timmy, Timmy also works at Fisher's Farm. Most of you know Jeff, who's the director of operations at Fisher's Farm. Timmy is the guy who is out with the guys on the job site every day while they're working. And so when I was talking to Jay about when to be baptized, he goes, I want Timmy to do it. And he said, Timmy, Timmy has been discipling me just at the job site every day, showing us what it looks like to love the Lord and to work hard. And so, so Timmy has a huge influence, though he's more behind the scenes. You don't see him quite as much. Know that he is shaping the guys at the farm day by day in the way the gospel is lived out and the way they work. And so it's a great joy that we get to turn it over to Timmy Hand in the Tank to give a final word to Jay and to baptize him.
0: Really frustrating because I would try to talk to you and you're just uh, so shut down and um, closed off to, to anything we had to share with you but um, you have truly been transformed and, and it's been a joy to, to watch God work in your life and I just want to encourage you to consent continue in your pursuit of him and uh, just keep fighting the fight man I love you good brother So, Jay, do you uh, repent of your sins continually and trust in Christ alone for salvation? I do. Right. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I was
1: told the Holy. Well, we do rejoice in that. Greg Till, one of our elders, is going to come lead us in a prayer
5: time. If you just bow with me. Father, it's always baptisms are so special because, Lord, we get to see, Lord, a public confession of what you've already done. Lord, in the heart, you give us new life. Lord, you bring our dead souls to life. You give us of yourself and your Holy Spirit to dwell with us as a pledge of our inheritance. Lord, to know that we belong to you. Lord, it is what we were born for. Lord, we just thank you for your grace and mercy. And even as Jeff has said today, that each day as we just preach the gospel to ourselves to remind ourselves, Lord, that we are saved by grace. Lord, through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. And Lord, we just, as a congregation, as a group of the gathered church today, we just say thank you and to God be the glory. And Lord, we just even thank you in our local body. Lord, how you have brought so many military families, Lord, to this place that come and go. Lord, thank you for how they enrich this body, Lord, uh, and just pray over them as many of them will be moving this year and some will be staying, Lord, just that you'd continue just to grow them up in this lifestyle, uh, Lord, where they're constantly moving uh, and constantly finding you faithful in it all. And Lord, we again, thank you as we've seen today just your work at Fisher's Farm. Lord, how young men come and, Lord, are transformed by the gospel. Lord, thank you for Jeff and Jen and, and all the folks, Lord, for Tim and others who, Lord, work work there and just uh, working for, for the gospel, Lord. We just pray you'd continue to do the work that only you can do in the human heart, Lord, and, and that is redeem and restore. We thank you, Lord. And we want to pray across our city this morning, Lord, as we pray for Pastor Mike Cobb, Delreda, a global Methodist church, God, just that, Lord, that would be a church where your word is taught faithfully, Lord, where people are coming to Christ and growing up in their faith, Lord. Just pray your blessing on that church, Lord. And even as we think beyond, Lord, our city into the world, Lord, we thank you for the, the team of 11 college students uh, from the U.S. that are going to Seoul, Lord. Basically, just to reach out uh, with street evangelism, Lord, to the homeless, uh, uh, having gospel conversations, Lord. We, We pray that in in their time there, God, they would see people come to Christ, uh, come to new life in you. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to our church. Lord, we pray that uh, as you have blessed us through, Lord, just working in the hearts of people here to give, God, that we would be good stewards of the things that you've entrusted to us, Lord. And and it would be all for your kingdom, for your glory. Lord, we thank you for... Uh, this time of service that we're coming to, Lord, we get to, we get to hear Your Word taught faithfully. Thank You for Grady, Lord, for His preparation. I pray today that <clears throat> as He teaches God, they would be Your words. I pray, Lord, that He would hide behind the cross as, Lord, He brings Your Word today. God, would You also do a work in our hearts and our ears and our eyes, Lord, that we can see and hear and that we would believe Your Word and it would be changed forever because of it, Lord. We're just grateful, Lord, help us never to take for granted this time that we gather as your people on this special day. So we commit all of it to you. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
1: While the kids are on the move, if you'll find Genesis chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word, Genesis chapter 3, we are in a year-long study of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, seeing the foundations of our faith. So we're in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Now, while you're finding I want to ask you, when you were a kid, so think back to your own childhood, did you ever try to hide from your parents? Now, maybe it was a game of hide-and-seek that was fun, Or maybe it was you being a little mischievous and hid from them and your parents didn't find it quite as funny as you found it when they couldn't find you. But you probably as a kid hid from your parents. But did you ever hide from your parents because you knew you had done wrong and you did not want to have to come face to face with them, knowing there would be consequences for your disobedience? If you're like me, you probably did so. If you're a parent now, you've seen that behavior in your own children. Children do not want to face authority when they know they've disobeyed. But friends, that tendency doesn't just stop in childhood, it carries with us to adulthood. You look all around, you see adults who are trying to hide today. It can be flagrant, the people trying to outrun police, or the fugitives who are hiding out in the woods. It can be us trying to lie or pass blame to hide our sin and cover it up. It can even be something as simple as avoiding the boss in the hall because you know the boss isn't pleased with you. The reality is we still have that tendency to want to hide from authorities if we know that we've disobeyed or displeased that authority. But the reality is there's many today who are hiding in an even more dangerous way. They're trying to hide from God. And even today here at Gateway, there's probably some in this room who are trying to hide from God. There's sins in your life that you know are wrong, that you know displease the Lord, and you really don't want to have to deal with them. You don't want to change. So you're playing the hiding game with your Creator And that's not a new tendency, that's a tendency that goes all the way back to the garden. That's what we come to in Genesis chapter 3 today, the first time the hiding game is played between people and their creator. Now just to remind you where we are here, we're in the first section of Genesis. The big word is Toledot. Genesis divided up into these Toledots, these sections. And we're in the first section of Genesis that deals with the origins of people, the story of humanity and where we came from. And when we finished up chapter 2 two weeks ago, we had seen the uniqueness of how God created us. We had seen the beauty of our creation and what it taught us about who we are as God's image bearers. But then when we came to chapter 3, what CJ preached for us last week, we began to see what went wrong. We saw sin come into the world. And today we're going to pick up in chapter 3 with verses 7 and 8 where we see the first consequences of sin. So last week we saw sin enter the perfect world and now we get to see the consequences of that sin. <clears throat> now, friends, before we dive into this text, I just want to say I need this text, and you do also. Apart from the grace of God, we think so wrongly about sin, particularly our own sin. We're so quick to try to minimize our sin, so quick to try to justify it, so quick to not treat our sin seriously, and we're so quick to lie to ourselves about what the consequences of our sin really is. But God in his grace wants to change us, so God in his grace gives us texts like Genesis 3, 7, and 8 to grow our understanding of our nature, to grow our understanding of sin, and to warn us of the consequences of sin. And I pray this text will help you and help me as we look at it together today. So as we look at Genesis 3, 7, and 8 today, I want you to be looking for what is the consequence of sin, but also be looking for what do we tend to do when we know we've sinned against God. So what are the consequences of sin, but then what do we tend to do when we realize we have sinned? Against God, Let's look for those things, two things as we read. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Genesis 3, 7. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees." of the garden. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you're a God who pursues us just as we saw in Jay's testimony, that you're a God who does not leave us in our sin but chases after us. And I pray today as we look at this text that you'd help us see the dangers of sin in our own life. I pray your Holy Spirit will convict each one of us of ways that we are running from you instead of running to you. And you'd use your word today to be shaping us and molding us into the children of God that you desire for us to be. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, normally in in sermons, I'll give you a main idea that we'll unpack or we'll kind of build to it, and I'll have a single main idea. I want to do it a little bit different this morning to help us understand this text. We'll give you two main truths of this text and then a question of application for us. We're going to look at two truths from this and then kind of a question of application. The first truth of this text is very simple, and it's simply this, friends. Sin leads to shame. Sin leads to shame. Satan is a schemer. And there's many reasons why Satan tempts us to sin, like we saw last week when C.J. preached on the first six verses of chapter 3. But one reason that Satan tempts us is he wants to start that downward spiral of shame in our life. He wants us to feel shame, and he wants shame to have its effect in us to absolutely sideline us from all of God's purposes. So sin leads to shame. Now, what is shame? We use the word periodically, but what does it mean? If you look it up in a dictionary, shame is that painful feeling of humiliation caused by wrong behavior. So just if you generally what the culture says, shame is a feeling of humiliation. It's painful, caused by wrong behavior. One of the theologians I was reading this week on, it says shame is a sense of unease with yourself in the heart of your being. You're uneasy with yourself. Why? Because you know you've sinned. You know you've done something that God has said is wrong. You have a God-given conscience. And if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you who convicts you. So there's an unease because you know that how you're living is not consistent with what God has said to do. Another author said shame is that huge gap between what I am and what I ought to be. It's that gap between who I know I'm supposed to be, what God has said, and how I am living. So sin produces shame in our lives. Now up until this point in the first two chapters of Genesis... There was no shame. Why? Because there was no sin. There was no wrong behavior. There was no disconnect between what God said and how his people were living. But today shame enters because of what happened we saw it last week in the first 6 verses of their disobedience of their sin. So go back to verse 7. It says in the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So here at the very beginning you see shame entering the world. Sin has now penetrated every part of their being. So you picture like a bucket of water, and you put one drop of food coloring. That food coloring doesn't stay at the top. It slowly fills it all to where every part of that that bucket of water is now colored. That's what sin has done to Adam and Eve here in a moment. It has now colored every part of them. Adam and Eve now have desires that they have never had before. They have lust coming after them that they have never experienced before. They feel a sense of unease they've never experienced before. They're embarrassed in ways they never had before. Matthew Henry, who's one of the great commentators on the Bible, describes what we see in verse 7 so well. He says, Now when it was too late, they saw the folly of eating the forbidden fruit. They saw the happiness they had fallen from. They saw the misery they had fallen into. They saw a loving God provoked. They saw their natures corrupted and depraved, and they felt a disorder in their own spirits of which they had never before been conscious. They saw a law in their members warring against the law of their minds and captivating them both to sin and to wrath. They saw themselves disrobed of all their ornaments and in signs of honor, degraded from their dignity and disgraced in the highest degree, laid open to the contempt and reproach of heaven and earth and their own consciousness. All that happened in a moment for the first people here. And that's what's in view when it says the eyes of both were opened and they knew. They felt a shame they had never felt before. And one aspect of the shame you see that that Moses brings out for us here in verse 7, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So obviously they were not wearing clothes at this point, but this is more than just the lack of clothing. They felt an exposure they had never felt before. They felt a sense of being defenseless and weak and humiliated, and they wanted to cover themselves. And this is the irony. This is the lie of sin. What they thought was going to make them more like God made them further from God. And unlike the all-powerful God, they were now weak. Unlike the all-wise God, they now were in folly. Without, unlike the all-glorious God, they now were huddled in shame. The very lie of the enemy, this is going to make you like God, further push them from God. And we see that sense of shame, that sense of helplessness, that distance from God and what they immediately tried to do in verse 7. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. In other words, they, they responded to their feeling of shame by trying to cover themselves. I mean, just try to imagine. I know it's a familiar story. Many of you have heard since childhood. But try to imagine the scene when they realize their guilt, when they realize these desires waging war against them they never felt before, when they realize the lust of their minds that were flooding, all these things that they have never thought or felt before. They're in panic, and they're looking around in panic. Perhaps their palms are sweating, their heart is racing, they're terrified, and they're trying to think, what can I do to cover myself? the scholars say they picked fig leaves probably because they were easy to get to. It was nearby. They were in a panic, so they just found the quickest thing they could find. And because they were big, it would help hide themselves on this. And so they find something nearby to try to cover themselves. And yet their feeble attempts were pretty pathetic. And they knew it was pathetic. And so, friends, not only does sin lead to shame, the second thing I want you to see here in this text is that shame leads to running away from God. That shame leads us to run away from God instead of running to God For forgiveness and help. Now, this is really important here because you see this in the lives of Adam and Eve and you see it in our own hearts as well. When we let sin lead to shame, instead of us repenting of our sin, if we wallow in that shame, it's going to lead us to running from God instead of running to Him for help. Adam and Eve did this, and that's what you and I, if we're honest, will do so often when we sin. So, look back at verse 8 of this text and see what they did. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now just pause there. We're going to come back to that because it's really important what God does here. But for now, just realize they know the presence of God is with them. But how do they respond to this? What do they do? And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Of the garden, They had, in their own self-effort, tried to find a way to deal with their shame. Their own self-effort, they tried to find a way to physically clothe themselves, but to deal with the shame of their own hearts, and it was not enough. When they hear God, Adam doesn't walk out self-confident. Hey, God, hey, you like the new clothes? I'll have to try something different today. All's good here. There's no self-confidence in Adam. When he hears God, he retreats in fear to the bushes and is trembling, hiding in these pathetic clothes, that he has made. Why? Because sin had led to shame, and because he wasn't repentant, the shame had had full effect, and he is now completely failed at trying to cover himself and deal with his shame himself. And so he tries to, verse 8, he tries to hide from God. Now, friends, it's obvious from this text, but it's a good reminder for us trying to hide from God is a foolish effort. It's a foolish effort for two reasons. One, Because, first of all, it's impossible to hide from God, right? There's no way to hide from God. Psalm 139 tells us this. In Psalm 139, a psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So the point here is it's foolish for us to hide from God. He already knows everything that we do He even knows what we say before we say it. I don't know what I'm going to say in 30 minutes. You don't either, but God already knows. We cannot hide from a God who knows everything. The psalmist continues a few verses later in verses 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? The answer is nowhere. Where shall I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. Verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Like literally there's nowhere we can run from to get away from God. And so a few verses later in verses 11 and 12. I say, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as a light to you. The imagery here of Psalm 139 is there's nothing we can do to escape the gaze of God. If we retreat to darkness, retreat to the depths of the earth, God sees it all. He sees what's going to happen before we even know what's going to happen. Why? Because he's omnipresent. God is everywhere. There's literally nowhere you or I could go to escape his presence, and he's omniscient. He knows everything, past, present, and future, so he knows what's going to happen before it even happens to us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. He knows everything about us. He even knows things done in secret. So Psalm 90, verse 8, tells us this truth. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Now, friends, we need to own that verse and let that one sink into us, because we may have done a really good job hiding our sin from our spouse, hiding our sin from our parents, hiding our sin from our friends, hiding our sin from the church leadership, hiding our sin from others around us, but God has seen it all. Even the sins of our thoughts, God has seen them all. We cannot hide from God our motives. We cannot hide from God our thoughts. He sees our secret sins. He sees our secret thoughts. He sees things that no one else on earth will see, and he brings it to the light of his presence. And so it's foolish for us to try to run from God because it's impossible to do that. The God who is all-knowing, who's everywhere, sees it all, and there's nowhere we can go to escape his gaze But there's a second reason it's foolish for Adam and Eve to do this and for us to do this today as well, and that's because trying to hide from God only increases our misery. Trying to hide from God only increases our misery. Some of you today may be stuck in paths of misery because you're not dealing with your sin, because you're trying to run from God instead of running to God. James 1.17 tells us the truth that all the good we have comes from God, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Friends, when we run from God to keep our sins to ourselves, to keep living in our rebellion, we're running away from the very source of good gifts that we need in this life. Or John 1, one of my favorite of all Scripture verses, you hear me say it all the time, from his fullness we have all received grace Upon grace. We need grace every day. We heard it in the testimony at baptism. We need transforming grace. We need saving grace. We need God's grace. But when we try to hide our sin and run from God, we are running away from the very source of grace that we need. As Adam and Eve learned the hard way that running from God only increased the misery. For them and for the generations that followed. We'll see that in the weeks to come as we keep unpacking the beginning of Genesis here. We see misery only increasing as they ran from God instead of running to God. But you see many others in Scripture who learned this the hard way. Think of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. He wanted his sin. He wanted a sinful attitude towards people. He wanted people to burn in hell instead of to know God. And so... He refused to do what God had sent him to do. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice that he's trying to flee from God. It wasn't just Adam and Eve. Human nature still wants to run from God if God tells us to do things we don't want to do. He rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. If you know the story of Jonah really well, it wasn't a happy journey for him. Because just like God pursues us, God pursued him and brought a storm on the ship. And everyone thought they were going to die. And a few verses later, in verses 15 to 17, as we see what happens in the account of Jonah, the people on the boat finally picked up Jonah and hurled him in the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Verse 16, then the men, this is the men on the boat, feared the Lord exceedingly, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Well, what about Jonah? He's thrown in the ocean. What happens to him? Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And it's not a fairy tale. This is biblical history for us here. Jonah tried to run from God because he didn't like what God had said. And all it did was increase his misery, not make things any better. You see this in so many other ways in Scripture. You see it even in the parables, in the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. The younger of the brothers said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. He took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. You have this prodigal son who's running away from his father. He doesn't want his father's lifestyle, his father's rules. All that was cramping him. And so he runs away from it all. And he only finds misery when he runs from the father. Verses 16 and 17. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? In that parable, this person of the prodigal son learned the hard way that running from his father only increased his misery. And friends, human nature hasn't changed. It was true for Adam and Eve, it was true for Jonah, it was true in the New Testament time, it's true for us as well. When we run from God, we only are increasing our misery. But perhaps the way we best evaluate our own lives or whether we're running to God or running from God is the question of what do we do with Scripture when we know that we've been in sin? What is our attitude and our approach towards Scripture when we know that we have sin in our life? Friends, what do you do with the Bible when you have rebelled against God in some way? And if we're like Adam and Eve, we end up neglecting it. We end up running from the Word instead of running to the Word. The Puritans are famous for teaching people that either the Scriptures are going to keep you from sin or your sin is going to keep you from the Scriptures. Either as we study the Word corporately and individually and his families and his friends, that's going to either keep us from sin or sin is going to keep us from the Scriptures, from the Bible. And anytime we neglect Scripture because we like our sin, We're doing the exact same thing Adam and Eve did. We're trying to hide from God. I love how A.W. Pink said it. He said, Why is it that the Bible is so much neglected? It is because it brings man nearer to God than any other book. So why is the Bible neglected? Because it brings us nearer to God than any other book. And we are uneasy in the presence of God and wish to hide from Him. Why is it that the public ministry of the Word is so sparsely attended? People will proffer many excuses, but the real reason is because these services bring God near to them, and this makes them uncomfortable in their sin, so they seek to flee from him. Friends, the tendency in Adam and Eve's heart to try to hide from God is the same tendency in our hearts. When we have sin, and instead of running to God, we withdraw from community, we withdraw from Scripture, we withdraw from prayer because we're living in our Shame, sin produces shame, and shame leads us to run from God and to try to foolishly hide from Him. So, what should we do instead? What should we do instead when we have sin in our life? And the answer is here, actually, in verse eight. And it's something that's so easy to miss here. But look at the beginning of verse eight here. And they, the sad they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, don't skip over this part. This is massively significant. We know that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But God had made this garden to be like a temple, a place where he had really manifest his presence, a place where his people would specially meet with him. And the way this verse 8 describes is something that God regularly did. This was not a one-time occurrence, but this was the ongoing pattern. The day after day after day. God would walk in the garden and Adam and Eve would talk to God in the garden. It was a picture of communion and of fellowship and of relationship and of intimacy. But notice something. On this day that they had rebelled, God knew they had sinned. God knew that they had turned their backs on him. God knew exactly what happened. He could have sent a lightning bolt from heaven. He could have sent an earthquake to shake them up, but he didn't. He could have come riding in on a horse like Revelation 19 pictures at the end of time and in judgment and in terror, but he did not. James Boyce describes it well. Everything in God's manner was just as before. He came in the garden rather than descending from heaven in some spectacular show of displeasure. God was walking, not running. He arrived in the cool of the day at the most pleasant time, rather than the heat of the afternoon or the dark of the night. He did not come suddenly. He came by degrees, calling as he came. God came to Adam and Eve as normal on that day, even though they had rebelled against him. And even the timing is significant here. The cool of the day, more literally the time of the day when the wind was blowing is a description of the evening. God waited till later in the day. They ascend obviously earlier enough time to get panicked, to feel all these desires they never felt before, to try to make clothes for themselves, to go hide. Like he gave them time. He didn't come right away. They didn't eat of the fruit and God show up. And judgment on them. He gave them time till later in the day. Time to realize their sin. Time to realize the foolishness of their own ways. He gave them time. Why Romans 2, 4? The same reason God gives us time. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God gave them all day to realize that their efforts would not work, to realize the weight of their sin and separation, and it came to them as normal so they could come back to him. There was an invitation here to run back to God for help and for forgiveness. That's what the beginning of verse 8 is all about. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Friends, this is the first glimpse for us of grace in the Bible immediately after the six verses of the sin against God, you see God offering them a better way. As we'll see in the next verses to come next week, what follows is not them running back to God and forgiveness and seeking help. What comes is them still running further from God. So, so far in these two verses, sin leads to shame and shame leads us running away from God instead of running to him for forgiveness and help. That almost leads to a question for us, because this is not just a nice historical truth of what happened to Adam and Eve. And this is where evil came from, and now we deal with it. That's not what this text should be doing in my heart and your hearts. So here's the question for us. Are we hiding from God, or are we daily running to God for forgiveness and help? Are we hiding from God, or are we daily running to God for forgiveness and help? Because what happens here with Adam and Eve is what's going to happen in your heart and my heart every day. We are all going to sin every day. So you and I, like Adam and Eve, have a choice every day. Am I going to run away from God and foolishly try to hide, to keep hiding my sin from God and from others? Or am I going to bring things to the light and run to God for forgiveness and help? Friends, the reality is I have sin in my life, and the reality is you have sin in your life. Ever since Adam and Eve, every single person is born with a sin nature. You've heard me say it many times, friends, but we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are born, from day one, we are born sinners. That's why Romans 5, 12 tells us very clearly here. Therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Every single one of us are sinners. The most nice person you know is a sinner. That's why 1 John 1, 8 tells us very clearly. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the question is not, do I have sin or do you have sin? The question is, what are, I, what are we doing with it? And Genesis 3 points us to the fact that God has given us hope. That Christ has come, what we're celebrating at Christmas, and he's taken our sin and shame on the cross and given us his righteousness. And because of what Christ has done, friends, we do not have to hide. Because of what Christ has done in taking our sin and giving us his righteousness, we do not have to hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve did. I love how Paul Tripp says it. He's just so articulate. He says, Jesus shamed shame on the cross so shame wouldn't keep you from running to him. It's a lot of shame, so let me say it again. Jesus shamed shame on the cross so shame would not keep you from running to him. Friends, because our sin and our shame is dealt with with Christ on the cross, we now have an invitation from God to not run away from him, but to run to him. And we run to him when we've sinned doing two things. First of all, seeking his forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, the very next verse after that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because of what Christ has done, we have an invitation to run to God, not hiding our sin, but being real with it, confessing it to him. And he will forgive us and he will cleanse us. As you've heard me say before, God only forgives sinners. He doesn't forgive sin. Every sin is paid for on either by the person or by Christ on the cross. No sin is overlooked. Everyone is dealt with. So God forgives sinners by taking their sin and putting it on Christ. Therefore, he can forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. So because Christ has borne our shame, we can now run. Instead of running away from God, we can run to God for forgiveness. But we can also, second of all, not just run for forgiveness. We can run to God for help. To change. We can run to God to find his grace to change us. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 is a beautiful imitation we have from our creator. Since then we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's talking about our struggle with sin here. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without Friends, realize when Jesus came, as Emmanuel, God was, he dealt with every temptation. There's no temptation that's unique to you. He felt it, but he did not give in to it. Therefore, verse 16 gives us this hope. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Friends, we have an invitation from the holy, 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 merciful and mighty God we sang about earlier to not run from him, but to run to him to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. The question for us is, are we? Are we hiding from God like Adam and Eve? Are we daily running to him for the forgiveness and the help we need? So just over the last week, when the Holy Spirit made you aware of sin in your life, what did you do with it? Did you try to run from God by drowning it out? Instead of dealing with a sin, trying to drown it out with entertainment, with other people, with social media, with busyness, with whatever else. Did you try to run from God by trying to excuse your sin and justifying it in your own minds? And when you realize there was sin in your life, did you run to Jesus? Did you accept his invitation to come to him for forgiveness and to come to him for help? Did you run to the scriptures? to hear his word to you and your sin? Did you run to him in prayer, not away from him, talking to him honestly about your sin and asking himself? Did you run to Christian community to bring your sin to the light so others could be praying for you and walk alongside you? Friends, were you hiding from God this week or were you running to him each day for forgiveness and help? If you look back and go, yes, I was running to God for forgiveness and help. Praise God. That's his grace. That's not something that we naturally do. And thank him for that grace and ask him to keep giving you a heart for that. But if you look back and go, you know, I really have not been. I've been running away from God instead of running to him. Talk to him about it. Don't keep hiding. He already knows. There's nothing you're going to tell him that's new to him. So be honest with God about your running. Be honest with God about your sins and rebellion. Ask him for forgiveness and ask him for help. Christ died not just to forgive you of your sins, but to free you from the power of it so that you can be a new person in him. Are you hiding from God or are you running to him for forgiveness and help? Would you pray with me? Father, you see each one of our hearts and there's nothing hidden from your sight. You've seen all the secret sins and thoughts of every single one of us this week. And yet, Lord, you have not struck us down, but you've invited us to run to you. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us, for myself and all these precious brothers and sisters, for those who know you as their Lord and Savior, God, that they would not be content, that none of us would be content with the sins in our life and just think, yeah, I'm forgiven, it's okay. God, I pray you would give us a discomfort with our sins, but a discomfort that doesn't lead to shame, that leads to despair, but a discomfort that leads us to run to you to be honest with you about our struggles, to be honest with you about our sins, to seek your forgiveness, to seek your grace to change us. Lord, help us not run from you, but to run to you. You know our tendencies. You know how quickly we want to neglect scripture, how quickly we want to neglect prayer, how quickly we want to neglect accountability in Christian community to live in our sins. Lord, free us from that. Give us such a glimpse of your glory and your beauty and your greatness that we would grow to hate our own sin and to want more of you. But Lord, we know that's only possible if we belong to you. And so if there's anyone here in this room who's never trusted in you, who knows that they're lost in their sins, Lord, would you today pursue them so they quit running from you? Would you grab them and turn them to yourself that they would be freed from this path of running away from you and trying to hide their sin, but to come to you in freedom and forgiveness, to know that they belong to you. And so Lord, for all of us, Lord, we need you. Lord, we so desperately need you. We are sinners, we are weak, we are needy, but Lord, you are strong and mighty and we pray that you would give saving grace to those who need saving grace and you give transforming grace to all of us who already know you, that you might keep growing us in godliness. We ask you to do this, Lord, for our own joy and ultimately, Lord, for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're gonna sing a closing song today. It's a fitting one. It's one we sing often from Sovereign Grace called Judge of the Secrets. I hope this will be your prayer. Oh, holy judge, here is my heart. What can I say to you? Where could I run? How could I hide? Darkness is day to you. The heart of a man is amazed within. So come light the way, illuminate sin. So I pray a little bit this will be your prayer to the Lord as we think about God being the judge of the secrets.
0: I yeah.